Well, good morning again. I don't really have any announcements that uh, need to make known to you. We do have a few, a few prayer requests before we pray and then pray for the uh, uh, reading of his word and the studying of his word. Uh, we've had a number of uh, people dealing with various sicknesses in our extended family over the last weeks, a uh, few including COVID. Uh, most of them have gotten over it or almost over it or kind of dealing with the tail end of it. So keep each, keep each other in prayer and keep those in prayer uh, that are dealing with some of these sicknesses and that uh, God will continue to keep it uh, kind of a mild case as it, it seems to be in most cases so far. Um, wanted to just uh, keep in mind the various uh, area churches that are also meeting this morning. Uh, and, and, and kind of include not only Fortuna, but just in our whole region. A lot of us are meeting about the same time. And, you know, we're a church that's uh, a universal church. It's not just here. It's not just a local body, although that is important and that is the case. We are part of the larger body of Christ. And we want to uh, make sure to remember uh, other parts of the body that are out there. And then also just thinking about the churches and the various missions that are um, working in Ukraine with the conflict going there and the turmoil and the, uh, uh, the disastrous situation that it, you know, continues there with the invasion. Um, but at times like this, many times God can work so much more with meeting not only physical needs, but reaching people in their deepest need, their spiritual need. And pray that these churches and these missions are able to uh, be very effective in uh, the Ukraine and in the neighboring countries where the various refugees are at. And, and uh, again, as part of the universal church, we, uh, we want to pray uh, for them and their success and that God's word will go out and save, save the lost. And uh, let's take this to prayer and pray over the, the sermon this morning. Lord, again, we come to you thanking you again, Father, for all that you do for us. Lord, there's just so much. Uh, we take so much for granted in our life. Um, but Lord, we, we pause now to just thank you and praise you and honor you. And we come here today um, in obedience. We come here today. Lord, seeking your face, seeking your, your message and your word for us at this moment, seeking the fellowship that we get with you and with each other in a, in a, in a, um, in a group that we can't get individually. And Lord, we just ask that, again, you will be with each part of the sermon, each part of the service that takes place today and that you'll be honored by it. Be with Lisa as she's with the kids this morning, and we pray uh, that you will save our children, Lord, that attend here and that are part of our extended family. Lord, that you will save them at an early age and that they will become um, strong men and women of, of faith as they go into adulthood. And uh, Lord, we just... Uh, Ask for those that are dealing with various sicknesses, especially dealing with COVID right now in our family and in our, in our region. Lord, we just ask that you will keep it a, a mild case, that it will be something that will pass and that they'll heal fully from it. We ask for protection of those family members and uh, especially those that are dealing with uh, other health issues. We, we pray for protection upon them and their extended family. And Lord, we, we think of the, the church universal as, as uh, in this local area the churches are meeting, as in Ukraine and other parts of the world, Lord, and especially in dark areas of the world. We just pray that you will be with the, the pastors, the church members, the missionaries, the various people that are ministering uh, in so many dark places of the world, that you will give them the strength and the the hope and the um, anything that they need, Lord, to be able to continue their work. And we pray a blessing upon that work, Lord. We pray that through this devastating time in Ukraine and all the uh, refugees that are 
throughout the world probably by this point because of this war. We pray, Lord, that many might come to know you in a, as their Lord and Savior through all these trying times. And Lord, we thank you again in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, we began our study into the book of Daniel, and I gave a brief introduction, and then a, uh, we looked at chapter 1, where we were introduced to four young Jewish men of royal or noble birth in the uh, country of Judah that had been taken into exile to the capital city of Babylon. Their names were Daniel, Ananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And uh, a number of chapters of the book of Daniel deal with these four men, and especially Daniel, before it turns into uh, some other issues. Uh, during the introduction, I stated that I believe that the main theme of the book of Daniel is the sovereign control of God over the affairs of all leaders and nations, regardless of the time, regardless of who it is, regardless of where they're located, all leaders and nations, and their final replacement by the true King, Jesus Christ, someday in the future. That the fortunes of kings and the affairs of men are subject to God's decrees. And he is able and will accomplish his will and purposes despite the most determined efforts of any nation or leader on earth. This, I said, should be a great source of assurance and hope and certainty for us and his children throughout the world because God is sovereign. And that's what Daniel I think, reveals to us in a lot of its pages that God is sovereign. Daniel and his friends went through a spiritual test almost immediately after they arrived at the palace of King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the ruler at the time, one of the greatest rulers of uh, foreign empires in, in our past world history, and especially in this area. And that tests dealt with dietary selections that they were uh, being instructed to take along with the other exiles. And I read a, a quote from the English Standard Version Study Bible that I used to offer an explanation about why in chapter 1 in this, in this incident that Daniel and, and these friends of his resolved that they were not going to defile themselves and I wanted to read it again today just because I think it is important for us to understand their mindset and where they're at spiritually because that is what helps them to endure and go through the struggles that they go through. And this is a quote. Daniel and his friends avoided the luxurious diet of the king's table as a way of protecting themselves from being ensnared by the temptations of the Babylonian culture. They used their distinctive diet as a way of retaining their distinctive identity as Jewish exiles and avoiding complete assimilation into the Babylonian culture, which was the king's goal of all these conquered subjects. With this restricted diet, they continually reminded themselves in this time of testing, that they were the people of God in a foreign land and that they were dependent on him for their food, indeed for their very lives, upon God, their creator, not King Nebuchadnezzar. End quote. They had resolved to be faithful and to put their trust in God. And God honored Daniel's trust and allegiance by sovereignly working favorably on behalf of Daniel and his friends before the foreign leaders. So his faithfulness was rewarded by God. God blessed them, and as a result, Daniel and his friends were found to be 
more learned and skilled in all literature and wisdom than all the other exiles, according to chapter 1. And Daniel, in particular, was also given understanding in all visions and dreams, an unusual uh, gift to be given. And notice it wasn't given to all of them. It was just given to Daniel. At the end of chapter 1, we're told that Daniel was found to be ten times better than all of the magicians and enchanters in the kingdom. And this was a huge kingdom. This is, this is no small um, comment in the sense of uh, the number of people that he's being compared to. But he was ten times more knowledgeable and better than all the other magicians, magicians and enchanters in the kingdom. This morning I would like to look at a portion of chapter 2. The chapter is uh, too long and involves too much to be able to handle all in one sermon. So I've decided on addressing certain things this morning, and I hope that it's uh, encouraging to you and informative to you. So let's begin with uh, chapter 2, verse 1, and we'll read through some of it. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians and the enchanters, the sorcerers and the Chaldeans, be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said, To the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your house shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. So the king is having troubling dreams. And when he woke up, he didn't remember the details of the dream. Did you notice that there is a use of singular and plural versions of dream in this conversation. This is probably indicating that it was is likely the king is having the same dream, but on several occasions. And that's why when he addresses it, he brings it up as dream, not dreams, uh, to be interpreted. In this and other older cultures at this time, It was believed that dreams were very important. So when the king could not remember his dream, the details of his dream, this was very concerning, not only to him, but to the counselors around him. Because they believed to forget your dream was an indication that the gods were angry with you. So not only is he having troubling dreams, but he can't remember the dream, which could mean future disaster to the kingdom. God gave Nebuchadnezzar this dream. And he also is the one who made the king forget the details so that he can accomplish his purposes and will at this particular time. The king, we are told, calls his magicians and the enchanters, which are obviously the wise men of the kingdom at the time, And we'll note later that he obviously doesn't call all the wise men of the area. This is a key group that is brought together. And ordered them to not only interpret his dream, but they were to begin by telling him what his dream was in the first place. What a crazy request. This group of people were very studied, very intelligent men who had great influence on the, on the king. 
in Babylon. The interpretation of dreams had actually become kind of an art form in this time frame. The practitioners even had written manuals on how to go about doing it and how to interpret dreams. And there were even libraries to help them with their task. They would record dreams of other kings and important people in the kingdom. And then they would even study what happens to that person soon after the dream was noted and written down and how life turned out so that they would eventually have a collection of dreams and results or life expectations that they could use to find similar details and results from. Then they would use these to respond to the king. So they would hear what he has to say, and then they would go back to their manuals and books, and they'd kind of look through and go, what happened to the last guy that kind of had this sort of a dream? And then give them a interpretation. But it was very hypothetical at best in how they would respond, because they really didn't know. They were guessing. And of course, for them to even be able to do that, they need to know what the dream is. So to be expected to not only interpret the dream, but to tell him what the dream was, was disastrous for them because they can't even go into the manuals to look for the answer. They tried to convince the king that this was impossible. But if he was to tell them the dream, then they would be able to tell him the answer or the meaning of it. But to add a little more motivation to his demand for, for what he wants, it was commanded that if they were not able to tell him the dream and his interpretation, that all the king's wise men, not just this group, but all the wise men of the kingdom, were going to be torn limb from limb and their houses destroyed, which literally interprets to make their homes basically a septic tank or a waste dump in destruction. That's pretty good motivation to try to come up with some kind of answer. Let's continue by reading uh, at verse 7. They answered a second time and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time comes or times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demands. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter of Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult. And no one can show to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with the flesh. So when the wise men were trying to explain their limits and save their lives, they made a very true statement that there is no man on earth who can meet the king's demands. They were accurate with that. It is impossible for man to do this. But what is impossible to man is possible for God. Daniel states the same thing later in the chapter when he addresses the king that no man can do this. Verse 12, because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Erich, the 
captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. And he declared to Arich, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? And then Arich made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. So the king orders all the wise men to be killed, as he told them would happen. And the executioner is going around collecting people. Maybe he's already executed a number of them. And he eventually goes to collect Daniel and his friends to bring them to the place of execution. Daniel apparently was not aware of what had transpired before the king. He wasn't there. He wasn't in that party as many others around the kingdom, the wise men um, that wouldn't have been there. He obviously was not included in the group of, of the more senior or more important wise men in the kingdom uh, that, was, uh, that was counseling the king at that particular time. And it's probably because of his age. Remember, he was only a teenager at the earlier parts of his exile. And that could also be an issue, is that he was a recent exile. Maybe there, the trust hadn't been put in him yet. But for whatever reason, that scripture doesn't really clarify for us. Daniel was not present when this was taken as part of the group of wise men and when his, um, this demand was being made. Yet Daniel exhibited, after hearing what was taking place and what the results were going to be, he exhibited great resolve and trust in God by asking for an appointment with the king so that he can interpret the king's dream. And I thought that was kind of interesting the way he said it. It was not like, can I get an appointment with the king and let's see what we can work out. He tells him, let's get together and let me interpret your dream. Like he, he knew it was going to take place. Before his time with the king, Daniel goes home and he sought out his friends and they turned to God seeking God's mercy. You know, I, I thought after I read that, um, the word mercy, we hear that word a lot in the Bible and in church environment. But I wonder how many of us really understand what the Bible means by using it when we talk about God's mercy or seeking mercy. Mercy is God's response to a person's need. Mercy is God's response to a person's need. And if anyone needed God's mercy, it was Daniel at this moment. He recognized his inability to accomplish what was being demanded by the king, and he turned to God, fully expecting the Lord to meet his need and grant him this mercy. Verse 17, Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, this is his, his prayer of thanksgiving to God and praise, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have gained, given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we have asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. 
Kind of sounds like the statement that I gave in the beginning. God is sovereign. And this is him working out his sovereignty. God responds to their prayer and he gave Daniel the king's dream and the meeting. Remember, he had to go to the king and not only give him the interpretation, he had to tell him what the dream was in the first place. And Daniel responds to the mercy God gave him by offering praise to God. And that was that prayer that he, he just gave. With Daniel's responsive praise, he acknowledged that only God is sovereign and all-powerful. He is the one who knows and when he chooses, reveals deep and hidden things. And I would have to agree that telling someone their dream is a hidden thing to be revealed. But not only will the dream, and, and we won't be able to go through the, the, the whole dream today, but I encourage you to continue reading through the chapter later. But the dream that he does interpret and, and, and have, that God gave to Nebuchadnezzar was amazing with the prophetic uh, elements that were involved in it of world history. What does Hebrews 4.16 tell us about prayer? Daniel and his, his friends went to God in prayer when they had this need. They needed God's mercy. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Daniel believed and practiced that in his life long before it was written in the pages of Hebrews. He practiced that. Verse 24, Therefore Daniel went in to Arach, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and he said thus to them, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Believe me, in, bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. And then Eretz brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, musicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. This is impossible for men. Not only impossible for men, this is impossible for the wisest of men. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in your bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. Notice how Daniel was very careful as he responded to the king to take no credit for himself. He didn't stand up and go, O oh, king, I'm ten times wiser than all the other wise men in this kingdom, and that's why I know the answer. No. He gave credit to the, who credit was due. He declared that it is God who reveals mysteries. 
He declared it as God who gave him that Nebuchadnezzar, that dream, and revealed what he is revealing to him. And it's God who is using Daniel at this time to give the dream and interpret it. It is all God working in and through Daniel, but not only through Daniel, but he's even working through this pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar. If you would approach one of the Pharisees in Jesus' time and bring up some thought like this that God used King Nebuchadnezzar, this pagan king, to reveal very important detailed information in Scripture, they would have laughed you out of the temple because they would have thought that would never happen, that God would use an ungodly man to do that. But God uses who he pleases to accomplish his purposes. Now, I don't have time, as I said, left to say much concerning the interpretation of the dream, which continues on from verse 31 in the chapter. But it is fascinating that God revealed through this pagan king some of the most detailed prophetic information concerning his plan for the Gentile nations of the world and for Israel in all of Scripture. Here in Daniel. And in the next chapters, and we'll be looking at that over the next weeks. Why would he use a pagan to do this though? Why didn't he just use Daniel? Why didn't he use one of the other people that was present in captivity to give this this message to? And I think it's important, and not in the sense of Daniel being in this, but remember what I talked about last week and what chapter 1 goes into. Remember the spiritual and moral condition of Israel at the time. They had fallen into deep spiritual and moral decay, especially as a nation. Remember, their king was following after his fathers in sin, and he was evil, and he was leading the people into sin. And when they say that, that doesn't mean that every single person in the kingdom is in sin. It's just as a nation, they are going in that direction. But they had fallen into deep spiritual and moral decay, which resulted in the punishment that they were presently experiencing in exile. To go into exile and be taken from the the, uh, promised land that they were given. And the apparent loss of an heir to the throne of David on the throne of Judah was devastating to them. But this is part of the punishment that has taken place. In many ways, Israel was even worse off than the pagan nations or neighboring pagan nations around them. Because it's one thing to not know the truth like the pagan nations don't unless it's brought to them. But it's a completely different thing to know the truth as the Israelites do and then to forsake it. That's worse. There's a word for that. It's called apostasy. To know the truth and turn away from it. Yet God uses the rejection of Israel at the very time that He's punishing His chosen people. He uses that same event and time to begin working His plan of redemption in the Gentile world. It begins a time when we as Western citizens in the future who aren't Jewish to be able to have redemption available to us The exile began the time that is referred to in 
Luke 24, uh, 21-24 by Jesus as the times of the Gentiles. There he says, they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be tampered under the foot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And he's talking about all the things that have been taking place. This error began at the time of the Babylonian captivity. It includes our current time that we live in and it will conclude at the second coming of the Messiah whenever that takes place. Nebuchadnezzar was given the right by God to conquer and rule over Israel. And then, as you look at the dream that he gave, more Gentile empires would rise and fall and and rule over Israel. as time goes on. But in the end, we read in verse 44, and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another person. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it shall stand Forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a, from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. These are the, the materials that the idol or the statue that Nebuchadnezzar's dream had. And that's why I encourage you to go back and read that. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. And how do we know that it was actually prophetic and that it was from God? We have the eyes of being able to look back in history to see that what took place was exactly what was provided in these scriptures many years before it it happened. He was described in periods of time that would happen while Nebuchadnezzar was on the throne and immediately after, and then into the foreseeable future, all the way to the end of time here in world history. And he gave this dream to a pagan king. Amazing. According to Daniel, God had made known to Nebuchadnezzar the immediate and distant future of world history And it amazed him. God used this pagan king to reveal in his scriptures some of his plans for the human race and to promote Daniel and his friends to significant leadership positions and influence in this kingdom and in the next kingdom. Which I think was one of the ways that even while the Israelites were in captivity as punishment, God is working by putting Jewish men in very influential, powerful positions of that empire to be able to look out for his people. So while he's punishing them, he's protecting them. God revealed the various nations that would rule in the world over a lot of our past history in the world, and Israel over time. But then he assures us that ultimately he will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed and will stand forever. And that it is not made by human hands. He's speaking of the future kingdom of the Messiah. And this seems like a good time to transition to communion. Because in communion, we do look forward to the time of Christ's return and for the future and our time that we will spend with him for eternity. And here in these scriptures, along with many other places in in the Bible, we are assured that someday he will return 
and that he will collect his own and that we'll be with him forever. And all the things that we deal with, the COVID will be gone. Sin will be gone. Death will be gone. Heartache will be gone. All of that will be destroyed. What a marvelous time to look forward to. But even when we go through all those things, the difficulties of life that surely come to each and every one of us, God is sovereign. He provides. He controls. Just because things take place at Russia invading Ukraine, God has not lost control of the world or his plan. He's using that somehow to accomplish his purposes. And I think the only thing we can say to that is amen. So we have communion elements up here. There's two different types. Feel free to take which one you want. One is set up this morning. The other is pre-set up. During the time of singing that we're about to have, feel free to come up, collect a, a cup and take it back and then hold it for when we take it together. I do ask for the um, protection of the communion table that if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you uh, pass on this. This is for believers. But that if you are a believer, regardless of which church you may attend, if you have a relationship with Jesus, if you've been saved, we invite you to join us this morning. And uh, Bob's going to come up and lead us with one more song. And then uh, we'll have communion together. Peace like a river attendeth my way, in sorrows like sea billows roll. Ever my lot, Thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul it is
My sin not in part, but the whole. Nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. It is well. With my soul, it is well, it is well with my soul. And Lord hates the day when the face shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back. As a scroll, trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. You may be seated. When I picked that song, I didn't recall the exact words as I was picking it, but I love it when it seems that the song said or saying kind of falls right in line with the the sermon and the message and what we're hearing today. It's it's uh, exciting. In Luke chapter 22, we have a recording of uh, Jesus meeting with his disciples before his death to uh, observe the last Passover. And I'd like to share that. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And they, he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you that I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. That's that future kingdom that we're talking about when the Messiah returns a second time. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you, that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and he had given thanks. And he broke it and he gave it to them saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. I'd like to go ahead and take this together. Let's take the cup first. Or the bread first. Which he says, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. And then he took a cup. He passed that around and he said, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Let's take it together. I'm just looking at the last verses of this section, which kind of, again, falls right in line with what we're talking about, with God being sovereign. Because he says, But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table, for the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another which of them it could be who was going to do this. 
God's plan, His sovereign plan is working out no matter how disastrous it may seem to us at a particular moment. God is working out His purposes. Have a great hope in that. If you're His child, He's working out His purposes for you too. And He is sovereign. God bless you. Have a good week this week. Remember whose child you are. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for for the, the redemption that you give us for our salvation for your children. Thank you for this ordinance of communion that you have given us to be able to remember on a, as often as we take it of the great costs of our salvation, but also with the great hope of the future. And we pray, Father, that you'll help us as we live day to day in this world around us to be your children and your ambassadors to the lost. Help us to do the right thing. Help us to live in manners that are worthy of our calling. Forgive us where we fail you. And we pray that you will convict us of sin quickly and draw us back to yourself and to repentance so that our fellowship with you might be fresh and continual. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand as we close. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Lord bless you. Thank you for being here. Have a wonderful rest of the day.